what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Welcome, everyone, to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. I am Alan. This is Chris. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, 2015. (laughs) Everybody, glad to have you here. Our first show of 2015, we are officially talking about 2015. I think the last couple episodes we spent a lot of time recapping and we looking did. backwards on 14. Ready for a new year. Ready for some new movies, some new conversations. Chris, you uh, you got any movie resolutions for the new year? Any? Uh, I mean, we talked a little bit about the films we're really excited about, but right, uh, right. Are you trying to see more films? Do you feel like you're you know going to try any new types of films that you're not used to? I think a resolution that I'll have, and it has to do with another show here on the Mesh, is that. I think one of my resolutions is that I will see Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, well, there we go. So that we can review it on Chick Chat. Uh, Mary Margaret Baker, <laughs> yes. the host of that show, has asked if yeah. we would do that. So, and I guess as part of that, I'm going to try to try my hardest to keep an open mind. So that will be like the crossover special. That'll yes. be like uh, that'll be like in our old sitcoms back in the '80s when a character from one sitcom would show up in another, and it was like a really cool deal. Yes. The Happy Days Laverne and Shirley crossover. Do you remember those? When yeah. like oh, yeah. Richie from Happy Days would show up in Laverne and Shirley. It was always pretty I remember special. Batman showing up on Scooby Doo. Like yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Globe Trotters. No, yes. those. That's a great one as well. Good, good call. So we are going to have a special foot candle chick chat sometime in the year. Sometime. When is that film supposed to come out? You know. Okay. I can be you don't have snarky, it on your calendar. I can be snarky about the marketing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I just supposedly can't be snarky about the film. They cleverly released it February 14th. Oh, Valentine's Day. Right. So engage nothing in some... Says, nothing says love like <laughs> engage a lot of Engage in some erotic S&M <laughs> with your loved one for right. Valentine's Day. Right. Awesome. All right. Let's, let's get on to our actual show here. The, sure. few, the films we have seen that we are going to review today. We've got two films to discuss. Uh, one, a film that... May, may have flown under the radars if it hadn't been for some interesting hacking and uh, cyber terrorism and other things going on around the world. We are going to be reviewing the film The Interview, starring James Franco and Seth Rogen, the one that infamously was uh, pulled from theaters uh, due to possibly North Korea, possibly Sony hackers, who knows. But movie theaters pulled it out, then it went back online for distribution, and that's where we saw it, and we have a chance to review it. We'll also be reviewing another film, a little smaller film called Love is Strange, starring John Lithgow and Alfred Molina as a newly married couple uh, dealing with some uh, uh, interesting and disastrous situations that cause a, a strain on the relationship. Two reviews that we're going to have. Then we're going to move into our uh, some of our movie news items. Then we'll finish up the show like we always do, giving you a good recommendation of a film you may want to check out either online or your old DVD cabinet. Who knows? I don't know where we're going to find these, but most of these should be available at least in some online format for you to check out. And I'll say with that, the recommendations, a lot of the movies that we do talk about here, if you check our show notes, we're pretty good about trying to put links in there. So, you know, if you're interested in seeing the movies, check out the show notes, follow the links and you'll be able to find the movies. Good call. Good call. Well, Chris, let's hop right into our first review. If we could, it's the uh, Seth Rogen, James Franco comedy titled the interview. Hello, who this? 
This is the Secretary of Communication for North Korea. Our Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un is interested in doing an interview with Dave Skylark. Oh my god. We will meet 50 kilometers west of Dang Dong, northeastern China. Did you just say China? And did you just say Dong? What you gonna do? Mr. Rappaport, I am Agent Lacey with Central Intelligence. You two are going to be in a room alone with Kim, and the CIA would love it if you could take him out. Hmm? Take him out. For coffee? Dinner. For uh, kimchi? No, uh, take him out. You want us to kill the leader of North Korea? Yes. The interview, Alan. Uh, yes. To set this up, I'm going to go actually where we saw them. Maybe we saw it um, through iTunes. I'm just going to let some of the reviewers on iTunes set this up for me. Okay? Oh, boy. I know where this is going. <laughs> Michael S.D. Uh, has a five-star review. And five it's titled, stars? Out of five? And it, out of five. Okay. And it's titled, Moving Picture. This is the most profoundly thought-provoking picture of our generation, comparable only to the Godfather in scope and goodwill hunting in depth. You will laugh, you will cry, and you will be exposed to a whole new world. James Franco and Seth Rogen have created a film that will go down in history as having liberated a country full of people. Okay, next mm-hmm. we have Josh Gammon. And his is titled Hilarious, but it is only four stars. Oh, so I'm a little less enthusiastic than the first guy, but okay. I really enjoyed this film. I found it to be just a little smarter than your average Rogan Goldberg film. However, cable news is painted with a much bigger target than North Korea or Kim Jong Kim Jong un. Many of the best jokes come at the media's expense. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now Mm-hmm. Balancing that nicely, we have the one-star review from Job Ang. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Yes. His is titled... Our apologies if, if he right. butchered your name. So. One of the worst movies I've ever seen is mm. his title. Okay. I can't believe we as the American public made such a big deal about a harmless, <laughs> terrible, crude, and irreverent film. It's funny at points, but not nearly worth how much hype we all gave it. Okay. Next up, surprisingly, I didn't know that he, like, bothered, but Bono... 75, gave a one-star review. (laughs) Bono's a big Seth Rogen fan, I I understand, yeah. And, uh, you know, he titled his review really bad, and he leaves just this one pithy little statement, didn't make me laugh at all. Okay. So, Alan. A wide range of emotions and and, and opinions on this. Yes, Mm -hmm. we have the four- and five-star review. We have the, you know, worst Mm -hmm. thing ever, to quote the the comic book guy on The Simpsons. Alan, what are... How did where you, do I fall? Where do you fall with all this going on? Uh, this was a really tough one for me. Okay. And I'm afraid all of the media attention to the film probably put a different lens on it than it really needed to. Sure. I really tried to step away and say, forget all the controversy, forget all the political ramifications and geopolitical stuff. Just watch it as a movie. Imagine none of that had happened. Because I remember this being advertised months ago, and I thought, oh, you know, I liked This is the End. Right. That was the last movie by this kind of collective creative group. Uh, had Seth Rogen and James Franco in it, and I think uh, Seth Goldberg is it? That's a uh, writing partner. Am I got um, that right? Evan Goldberg. Evan yeah. Goldberg, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of a writing partner, producing partner as well. Yeah. So, you know, I was looking forward to this. I thought the premise sounds interesting. It's definitely unique. I mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like Seth Rogen. I don't like James Franco. I really never have liked James Franco. Okay. Um, so let me go to the likes first on the movie. Okay. Let me, since I kind of took the odd way of introducing, let me just give for those of you who have been hiding in a cave, 
or have maybe gotten amnesia recently. Oh, let right. me give you just a brief overview summary of the plot before oh, yeah, you dive in. Because it that'd be haven't good. really yeah, touched it. Although I think you guys can guess, even if you have been hiding in a cave, yeah. that has something to do with North Korea. So anyways, uh, Dave Skylark, who's played by James Franco, mm-hmm. and producer Aaron Rappaport, who's played by Seth Rogen, run a celebrity tabloid show called Skylark, Skylark Tonight. So, you know, it's kind of not well thought of. People kind of jokingly, you know, make fun of it and stuff. But it's a big show. Well, they land an interview with a surprise fan, the North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Yes. So they then say, okay, cool, we're going to be serious. We're going to have the biggest interview of our lives. We're going to go over there. Well, right before they go over to North Korea to interview the guy, the CIA says, hey, uh, we really dislike this guy. We think they're a big nuclear threat. They've been doing a lot of testing lately. We want you to assassinate him. Okay, right. and now you see why Sandy yes. was hacked. But anyway, that's the capsulization of the movie. Yes. So now that we got that out of the way. I will say with this, I generally was okay with the movie. Okay. I There are parts of the film I thought were really well done and funny. Okay. I can't say that for the film as a whole. There is one huge, huge huge dislike that I will get to a little bit later. Okay, excellent. That honestly, if that dislike was not in the film, I probably would be able to come out and say, I like this film. A lot. I can't wait to hear. I can't wait. Huge. To hear this. Okay. So I will say, I thought Seth Rogen's performance character, I mean, he's playing Seth Rogen. There's no acting involved here. He's playing, but he was, he was funny. I really liked his character. Okay. Uh, I thought the guy they had playing Kim Jong-un was really good. Kendall Park. I liked yes. his performance. I liked Diana Bang, who played Sook, who was the translator. Oh, I thought she was really good as well. I thought this was a really unique story, which we don't always get a whole lot of these days. But I did like the fact that there was a story and a plot, and it was intriguing. Mm-hmm. I was honestly curious where they were going to go with it. I wanted to follow the story along. And there were some moments where I really did laugh. There were some funny moments that I thought were hilarious. So in general, I like the film, but there are some major things that are keeping me from saying that I like this film. Okay. If that makes any sense. Sure. There are moments of this film I want to see again. Okay. But I'm not eager to see the whole thing again for reasons I'll explain in a moment. So generally speaking, positive. On my one to five star, if I had to go on your iTunes rating. Or Letterboxd. Or Letterboxd. I'm somewhere in the maybe three star. Okay. Maybe two and a half if I'm on a, in a bad mood that day. <laughs> Typically probably three star. Okay. How about you? Well, I am on record on this show yes. uh, really disliking This is the End. Yes. But um, this movie doesn't have Jay Baruchel, so that automatically ought to help your situation. That's true. Right. I had not thought about yeah, that. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. But um, yes, so I actively really disliked 2013's This is the End. I didn't see the other thing Seth Rogen was associated with Neighbors, which came out this year, which you I did. did see. I did not liked. Okay. I yeah, thought it was funny. It was reviewed you yep. know, kind of favorably. It was a good movie. So this was my first chance to kind of, you know, make nice yes. with Seth Rogen and James Franco again. Okay. Um, I'm kind of maybe the opposite how you are on Seth Ro- or Rogen and Franco. Okay. I kind of like Rank- Franco as an actor. Um, I liked him mm. in Oz, The Great and Powerful. I Something about his... I don't know. He's just kind of, he's odd. And I like the fact that he's odd mm-hmm. in real life and odd on the, he just, you no, know, he's just that way. Whereas 
I kind of hold it against Rogan, even though he's fine, but he does kind of have this mold of doing the same thing over and over it's again. It's very sim- uh, straightforward performance all the time. But I think he's very well aware of that. You know, mm. even like the patented laugh, yeah. which they should put out like a little, um, one of those little comic things where you can hit the button, you like have the Seth Rogen laugh. They should yeah. put that in like all the Spencer's gift shops because yes. it would probably sell. It's awesome. But, yeah. <laughs> but like you were saying with, as far as all the ruckus that happened with Sony, I went into the movie trying to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, let's set all that mess aside and just do the simple rule with a comedy, which is, does it make me laugh? Right. And if it does make me laugh, okay, at least they're doing that right. How much does it make me laugh? Like yes. how much did I get on board? I was surprised that I laughed as much as I did. Really? Yes. Good. Um, and I laughed a great deal. Okay. Because of some of the... What I reviews that I kind of referenced in the, the intro, I thought it was going to be nothing but a lot of what this is the end was, in my opinion, which was like really offensive poop jokes mm-hmm. or like, you know, sexist jokes, like all that kind yeah. of stuff. Now, not to say those aren't in there. Oh, it's in there. Because they are in yeah. there. But there's a lot of other stuff going on. Like I you agree. said, this actually has a plot. You know, actually, there's has a, a story, there's a plot. And I thought there was a little more going into it, not deep profound stuff, but there was a little more than the, the humor and jokes. You know? Right. And I thought that it had a good balance with trying to say something, but not trying to be a message film. Obviously this is an R rated right. comedy and it wasn't heavy handed because it never took itself too seriously. I thought, yeah, right. so I, I was really surprised that, you know, overall I, I have a very positive review of this film, maybe because okay. I was expecting so little going in. Could be. If I, I think to... having it a, a real, with a true story really helped it. Right. Because this is the end. I will, I will give you that. It wasn't really a story. It was more of a, hey, let's take a situation. Let's throw some funny people in a house together and just let them riff on each other. Right. And every once in a while we'll throw something disastrous their way. Right. I get that. This actually, I mean, there is a actual plot. There's a story. You kind of want to know where things are going to go. You want to know how it's going to end. There's relationships. There's characters. It, it had a lot more going for it than a typical dumb comedy. And likewise, maybe, again, it comes back to expectations. This is the end. When I saw it, it had been out for a couple of weeks, and critics were just, like, raving about it, mm. giving it really high scores. So when I finally saw it, I was like, really? This is mm. supposed to be one of the funniest movies, you know, in a long time? Whereas this one, you know, nobody had basically seen it. Still, yeah. a lot of people haven't seen it because, right. you know, it's very o- Online distribution is still not quite the common household right. vehicle. So, right. Yeah. Um, I'll run, you know, the, the positives, a lot of the ones that you've touched on mm-hmm. were that um, Randall Park, who played the North mm-hmm. Korean dictator, I was surprised at how nuanced his character was actually for a comedy. Yeah. Because it was fantastically comedic, yet sad. Mm-hmm. It was was. sad. Well, and I'll tell you, and I'm not going to spoil things necessarily, but he plays a part that for a while is played one way. And he actually had me fooled. Right. Okay. I mean, I actually got fooled just like Seth Rogen is telling them at the beginning. Hey, listen, this guy's manipulative. He was manipulating me. I was watching and thinking, okay, this is the way they're going to play this guy. Right. And then there's a shift. I'm like, oh, okay. No, he, he got me too. I thought it was a really good performance. I liked I, it a lot. I agreed. And the, the, a lot of the funny moments for me centered around, as with him, some of those mm-hmm. were very funny with the Korean dictator and uh, Skylark. But also the relationship between Franco and uh, Rogan's characters mm-hmm. and how Franco was just you know an idiot, a mm-hmm. completely self-absorbed idiot. 
and I, I, I really enjoyed how dumb he was. <laughs> I found a lot of that. I found a lot of yeah, that. Funny. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then I'll say too, it was unexpected. It was an unexpected uh, use of music. But uh, and interestingly enough, you and I had a conversation recently about we both have young children and how we kind of by osmosis hear pop songs. Mm-hmm. And one of the pop songs that's used, I think, to great effect in the movie is Katy Perry's Fireworks. Yes. And it was unexpected in the way they handled it. And not necessarily, I mean, you could say Riot Off is saying mocking, but I think there's actually something more no. going on. And they there. use it twice. Oh, yes. One at the end pretty interestingly yes. uh, take on it. So, yeah. yeah. So I, it was just, to me, that was very cleverly done. Something yeah. that I wasn't expecting. I was like, what? <laughs> kind, mm-hmm. of, kind of took me back. Okay. So you've mentioned negatives. Let's, let's shift. All right. I, it's really one. Okay. I, I could not stand James Franco in this movie. Ah, man. Can't stand it. See, I, I, no, no. I could not have a better appreciation no, of his character. No, man. no, you're so wrong about that. I'm sorry. <sighs> he, he was forcing himself so hard to be this slapstick funny guy to where it was just grating, annoying wow. to watch. I couldn't, wow. I couldn't take it. I did not have that experience at all. There were moments of this. I was just gritting my teeth saying, oh, my God, just please could they have replaced him with somebody with a better sense of humor and comedy and timing. You know, I like the part. The character is great. Can it's you, just without him. giving any like plot point away. Can you give me an example of something where you were really like about to have to go to the dentist to get like a plastic thing to put in your jaw so you wouldn't? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to. Grind I mean, your teeth this down. is uh, this is <laughs> a, a common phrase that they kept repeating. Oh, that yes. that was a very PG rated phrase the way they say it. But the poop and pee does 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 he not poop and pee or pee and poop or something like yes, that? Yes. And it's just the delivery on even that line. I'm just giving one example. Where Seth Rogen can handle it so naturally, like batting it back to him. But James Franco just does not know how to do that comedic riff, kind of ad-libbing style. Okay, obviously, I appreciate it. And I think think that speaks to his performance because his character is a boob. He is this— I get it guy who's trying to like you know sell stuff and he but he doesn't know how to like ask questions and doesn't know how to fret you're right seth rogan's very natural and he is smart and he could think about how to ask a dictator a question like that where you know it's claimed that he doesn't pee or poop and mm-hmm. like you know all franco can think is like he's trying to be barbara walters in effect and in his think he's he thinks he's better than he really is and so like sure. i took it as that but i yeah, I, I, was I have totally no problems with the character. The right, way the character right, was written, right. I totally get. You just think his, his just delivery and performance of that character. Oh, it's just it felt forced. It felt like, oh, I'm going to be a funny comedic riffing guy now because I don't get to do that very often, and I'm going to say funny things and I'm going to like bounce back really funny things. I'm going to have funny facial expressions, and everything just felt so forced. Man, and I did not feel natural one bit. Wow. Where when I watched This Is the End, you had Seth Rogen. Um, um, Jay Baruchel. Well, Jay Baruchel, <laughs> granted, he has the annoying tone and voice, but he still knows how to riff okay. Right. Um, even, um, oh my gosh, I'm drawing the blank. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street guy, um, comedic guy. Oh, um, Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Those guys just know how to riff. They know how to deliver those lines where it just sounds natural and it's like, it's real. James Franco, I felt like, was forcing every bit of comedy he could out of his bones. He thinks he's funnier than he is, and that's the way he's playing those, oh, that role. Man. It just didn't work for me. Wow. I, I, what I would have preferred, here's what I thought would have been hilarious. 
a young Steve Carell playing that part type of character where he can come across as this uber professional, but he can also be a moron in his head. Okay. Okay. Um, That kind of character, that's what I wanted. James Franco just did not work for me in this role at all. Well, that's Um, interesting that you mentioned Steve Carell because he was on board to do... I think it was a comedy, but mm-hmm. it was based off a graphic novel about something about, and it was titled, I think, The Capital of North Korea, that Pyongyang. Oh, you yeah, say that? right. But like he was supposed to do a movie about hmm. that, and that got scrapped when this movie got in trouble. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so it's interesting you bring him up. Well, I just think, I was trying to think last night after I watched this, who could have played that part where I would have been really happy with that? And as somebody who knows to play that balance of I'm a buffoon, but I know how to try really hard not to look like a buffoon on TV or all that. Instead, we got James Franco being an absolute buffoon all the time. And it was forcing that that perception of a buffoon. I just could not stand his performance. Sure. So I wish there would have been somebody else in that part. I really do. And I tried really hard to make sure it was not just my, my, my Franco dislike in general, (laughs) but it, it did really, really hurt the film for me. Okay. In general. The only other thing with the film I didn't like, I mean, it was more just a personal thing. For this being a film that has gotten so much attention and so much of the world kind of focusing their eyes on it, I really thought that the intense violence shift in the last 20 minutes was just a bit much. Again, I'm not a, 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 I'm not against violence in films at all. I'm, I, will, I will love the Quentin Tarantino films and, mm-hmm. and anything else just any day of the week. This film just set a tone that in the last 15, 20 minutes, it just... It did shift that tone. I normally don't mind that. I like when films kind of mix up their tones. But with this film having so much more outside attention, I just felt like it was more It was more queasy to watch. It was more like, ugh. Well, they really went kind of real violent with it at the end. That's so. that's interesting because I only have two negatives. Okay. So overall, you know, obviously I'm positive sure. on the film. And my negative, I didn't know about the violence necessarily – but I was, which it plays into violence, obviously, because you can't have gore without violence, I don't think. Um, but I didn't understand the overly gory movement, yeah. moments of the film. Towards the end, there's a guy who gets shot in the head at yeah. point blank range. Sure. There's a character who loses several fingers by having them bit off. Oh, yes. And it's very Tarantino in the amount of blood and everything. And I was, I didn't. Well, oh, there's understand. a tank rolls over a guy. Okay, um, yep. There's, I didn't, there was I didn't a lot. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why that was being done. It felt so out of place. I agree. And it bothered. I was like, I don't, I don't get that. I don't, I don't get it. That was really a concern of mine. Granted, it did not make me not like the film. Right. It's just that last 20 minutes. It was just, I was a little more like, I really wish they hadn't gone to this level. You know, I think they could have really finished this film up and made it a really good, strong film without going quite to this depth level of this. Yes, there wasn't like, and there was also a lot of shooting and gunplay. That Which, part that was violent. okay. That so was, was the violence specifically around It was more the heavy, stuff. like, gore violence. Okay, it was like okay. the result of violence with right. the gore side. Okay. It was just too much, I yeah. thought, at times. The, the examples you brought up were exactly the ones I would have brought up. Um, again, I knew it needed to have a violent ending just because of the nature of where the film was going. Right. I just didn't expect a comedy, even with some political satire involved, to get quite that bloody, gory at the end. So. I'll say another um, negative that I had was the question of James Franco's sexuality, both his character and I think making reference to maybe James Franco himself, which they mm-hmm. did in This is the End. Yes. Um, they made jokes about that as well. But I'm just kind of done with that. Mm-hmm. And they did it again in this movie. And it wasn't just once. It was like yeah. it came, you know, in the first once or two times you're like, okay. But they kept like doing that. And that just kind of got on my nerves mm-hmm. because I was like, 
you, know, you blame covered Jay- that territory. I, and this I blame and James this Franco for that. I'm sure it was probably his fault. <laughs> I'm okay. sure it was blame his fault. Franco. Um, um, go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, I guess kind of maybe as a wrapping up type thing for me, I'll say that I was surprised um, going into the movie because of, I guess, the negativity about North Korea, mm-hmm. how sympathetic they were to North Korea, mm-hmm. and even at first to Kim Jong-un himself. And I would actually go on record as saying, yes, the tone does shift and you see different sides of Kim Jong-un. But in the end, I think some of the statements that Skylark makes and Seth Rogen kind of wonder about in the beginning when they first meet him, it kind of makes you wonder about the person Kim Jong-un is mm-hmm. and how sure. he got to be that way. Not whether he's good or bad now, yeah. but how he got to be who he is. I agree. And I, you know, I was not expecting that from a fart poop joke comedy. Yeah. You know, so. Well, that's what I was saying. There, there was more going on here. I mean, they, they, it never got into what I would consider a political satire, but it had enough moments to say, you know what? They are, there's something being said here. I do. I will, I will give Franco one scene that I did like. Okay. Um, it's a scene where, and again, not trying to spoil, spoil too much, but about two-thirds of the way through the film, he's developed a certain kind of relationship with Kim Jong-un. Um, he starts to question that relationship, and as he's kind of taking a walk on his own, he, he explores a supermarket there in the, in the town square right. and realizes some things about it that makes it kind of some real, realizations come out. I guess the reason I like that scene is, A, it is kind of saying something. You know, that kind of was starting to highlight some things. Some things are starting to click together for the characters. Right. And I guess I liked it, too, because Franco wasn't being a complete idiot or forcing a bit an idiot in that role, in that scene. But, you know, it's scenes like that. It's like, okay, yeah, they are making some comments here, and they mm-hmm. are trying to really highlight a few things, and they are talking about the society in, in North Korea. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought they did a good job with it. How did you I, think the film's called – the interview. Yeah. Once they get to that actual interview, I thought that was actually written and handled pretty, I, pretty well. I agree. I thought it was too. I mean, you kind of knew where it was going to go, but I thought the way they got it there was nice. Sure. Um, no, yeah. I, I generally liked the film. Okay. I just really hated James Franco in it. And uh, <laughs> if I just, man, if there had been somebody else in that film, I could honestly walk out of that and say, that was a good movie. You guys need to see this movie. Okay. Um, I'll tell you, I did laugh, bust out laughing a few times. The, uh, the tiger scene I thought yeah. was absolutely hilarious. Okay. Um, there were a few other little moments. I, some of them I can't really talk about, but <laughs> there were a few moments where it was just absolutely funny. Right. And uh, the inside the tank with the fireworks song, I thought was very funny. I thought, uh, yeah, there was some really good moments. Okay. So, yeah. So overall, we liked it. You yes. liked it more than me, mainly because I don't like James Franco. I, I think, yeah. yeah. That, that's how we sum up our review here. <laughs> we both liked it, except Alan really hated James Franco. Franco. <laughs> that's basically the deal. Right. Surprisingly, I really did not expect to like it. Um, I, I didn't either. So I guess I that was a nice that, surprise you know, Actually, as, you know, since I was watching it um, on my uh, iPad, I could see the time ticking away. And the first 20 minutes, I was like, wow, this is this is good. I like this. I'm like, yeah, but I bet it's going to, you know, and it, the time thing kept going. I'm like, wow, no, I'm, I'm actually going to end up mm-hmm. liking, cause it got past the halfway point. I'm like, yeah. no, 
I think I'm actually going to like this movie. I, I think a lot of the negative reviews out there are from people who now with this heightened awareness of this film, oh, it's going to be this really bitter satire and it's going to be like make so many like political and jokes and all that. No, it's a dumb comedy movie that <laughs> just happens to take place in a hotspot geographic area of the world. Right. Uh, if you can separate yourself from all the all the press out there and you enjoy a good gross out comedy that maybe has a little bit more going for it than others. It's a good movie. You know, well, and I'll, I'll say because you and I are movie reviewers on this podcast, we're highly interested in movies. We started a film society in Hickory, North Carolina. There was no way that I wasn't going to see this film. Right. Sure. After not because I'm a Rogan Franco fan, but after all that stuff, I'm like, I, I want to see the film that calls all this ruckus, you know? Well, so, and Chris, this movie supposedly has made over $30 million from online sales, okay. which is huge. Okay. That's more money than they probably would have made. I mean, definitely more money than they probably would have made their opening weekend uh, in a movie theater. Okay. Now, granted, they've been on, on demand for a couple weeks now. Sure. But still, it's setting a bellwether to some degree to say that, you know, you can put you can out a big this. movie online and make some money. Now, are they making as much as they would have made if it made to the theaters cumulatively now? Probably not. But I don't know, though. Uh, I don't know if that money is all because of the controversy or because they put out a new Seth Rogen, James Franco comedy online. Right. You know, so it's going to be interesting to watch that whole online distribution world in the future because of this one. Not that, you know, your crystal ball probably can't give you this answer or not, but just wondering, do you think careers, comedy career of Rogen Franco, do you think it, this is going to affect them? No. Short term, long term, no, not at all. No effect whatsoever. I don't think it'll have any effect. I think there's enough people out there saying that this movie is really funny, okay. like us, that enjoyed it to to some degree, and to balance out those that say it's a bad movie. But I think the fact that I think overall it's going to help their careers because they're being seen as the ones who did make and star in a movie that had some bad had and honestly, a lot of people are taking it as a patriotic thing, which I don't get patriotic. <laughs> There's nothing patriotic about this, really, yeah. for this movie, for the United States. But um, anyway, I don't think it affects them one way or another. I okay. really don't. I think everything kind of counters each other out. Kind of like your reviews that you started out this review with, your online reviews. You got the ones and the fives. In the middle, you're going to get that nice two-and-a-half, three-star review. And so that's a, a moot point for them. It's not going to affect their careers any, I don't think. But you have to admit – the uh, Michael SD review, the, the moving picture review, where he compares it to the Godfather and Good Will well, Hunting. That was an awesomely writ, written Oh, it was re- awesomely written. It's ridiculous and <laughs> full of it, but I'm but sure. But Michael SD, because uh, that's the name you give, if you want to write in and give us like intros to our next couple of yeah, shows, feel free. Cause that and was please compare every movie to some of the most <laughs> prestigious films ever yes. made in, in film history. Absolutely. All right. Let's uh, move on to our second film, uh, a very different film. Yes. Uh, still involves two men. Uh, with a, a relationship and going through some some challenging times, but a little more on the somber, serious side here. This is the film Love is Strange. We are gathered here today with the purpose of uniting in matrimony George Esteban Garea, Benjamin Arthur Hall. Word got out to the archdiocese. You've all known this whole time that Ben and I have been living together. The decision is effective immediately. Now, we invite you all here today because, well, your family. With my private lessons and Ben's pension, we need a place to stay. Love is Strange, which, interestingly enough, distributed by Sony Pictures Classics. So a little connection point there with uh, our first one. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Love is Strange stars John Lithgow as Ben, 
Alfred Molina as George. They've been together nearly four decades as a couple, homosexual couple, obviously. They finally get a chance to tie the knot in a very nice wedding ceremony in Lower Manhattan. And this all happens in the first 10, 15 minutes. So there's not spoiling the plot for you here. But basically, George loses his job, which we are to assume that George is the only one really working at that time. I think uh, Ben was on a pension at that point. Right. And loses his job. And, of course, this being New York City and high expensive apartments and everything, they lost their apartment. They just can't afford to keep it. So that puts them on a quest to find places to live, which unfortunately means they have to be separated for a while because we are New York City it's not like everybody's got these huge spacious houses with tons of extra room. Right. Generally in these apartments, they may have one extra bed or a couch where somebody can sleep. And that's about it. So we do have these two men who have been together almost four decades and finally had this moment of getting to get married. And now they're forced to be separated. The film kind of starts to explore a little bit of the multi-generational uh, dynamics of love and relationships and how, these two individuals' relationship and the trials they go through affects those around them as well. Uh, we've got other people starring in this, like uh, uh, Marissa Tomei, who stars as the daughter-in-law of the Ben character. We've got Cheyenne Jackson as a uh, police officer who is a friend of the of the married couple uh, and is where George goes to crash um, for the time being as well. Chris, with this film, Love is Strange, the director I'm not familiar with is Iris Sachs. Um, yeah, I looked at his filmography, and I really don't know any of his film he's work. He's made like four or five films, Yes, Yes, uh, but I'm really I'm not familiar with any of them. Neither was I. This is a film that was a, is a short film. Uh, it was a fairly straightforward film that's really carried by two characters' performances. Um, you've either got to buy that relationship, and you've got to buy those performances, or you don't buy the film, in my, in my opinion. So let me start it off to you. Did you buy the two characters, the lead characters, and their relationship in the film? And did that help you to enjoy or not enjoy this film in general? Alfred Molina does not get enough work. Mm. Um, I bought his performance and thought he was just amazing. Okay. And I've never, you know, I've never really thought about him much before. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen him in that many things. I think the second Spider-Man movie. He was Dr. Octopus. In was, the, in I think was yeah. one of the more bigger roles that I've seen him have. And so I don't, you know, I wouldn't say I was a Molina fan, but this movie, he just really, you know, the word that the cop out word that I'm going to use is just gravitas. He just mm-hmm. has this like solemnity and the look in his eye, like the smoldering kind of when he's getting cranky, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's just amazing. Um, so his performance, a hundred percent on board with thought he was amazing. Believe the character helped me get into the movie. Lithgow, I think I still have kind of a uh, third rock from the sun vibe from him mm. and have in a lot of performances, which was a TV show he did. Yeah. Um, and I've never really thought much about him one way or the other in the beginning of the film, I guess, you know, at the wedding reception, there were some happier jokey moments. And mm-hmm. I thought, I don't think I'm going to be able to mm. get on board with his character. Right. But not long after that, things shifted that kind of jokingly, jokey John Lithgow that I know kind of fell away. Right. And I then did Binder's performance and I I liked it. Um, Do I think he's maybe overshadowed by Melina? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I would, I would give you that, but Mm -hmm. um, no, the performances were both good. Okay. So did that lead you to say that you enjoyed this film or did you, uh, I I did. Okay. I did enjoy it. Um, it was interesting going into it. I knew the bare minimum. I knew, like Mm -hmm. you said, you know, it was about a, a couple that had been married and then, you know, they were going to have some trials and tribulations. And the only thing that I could think of off the top of my head where a gay couple was portrayed on screen 
was The Birdcage with Robin mm. Williams wow. and Nathan Lane. Quite a bit different. And yeah. a married couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess I don't know whether they were married or not, but they were definitely together and like had been together. I don't think for married, a, but yes, together. Right, but they were together for a long time. Sure, they were yeah. life partners. Sure. And that movie just played, of course, it was a comedy, Mike Nichols film with Robin Williams and mm-hmm. stuff, but you know, it just played everything for laughs and never really gave you anything profound. Well, it definitely played up the more flamboyant uh, stereotypes of of a gay couple, which this film absolutely does not. not. I mean, and I think going in, I was afraid that even though I knew it was a drama, but you know, I knew there were going to be some moments of humor. uh, I was afraid that it was going to remind me too much of the birdcage, Mm, you know, and the birdcage wasn't trying to be didactic. Oh, the birdcage is a great movie. It was just a comedy. This is a very different movie. Right. Broad, like slapstick comedy. So I was impressed with how they didn't, they didn't play it for comedy and they didn't try to rely on a lot of typical portrayals of the homosexual community. Yes, you know, just, and I they agree. just, I'm they, very they focused more on these are two human beings. Mm-hmm. These are two people who have cared for each other a lot and are going through something that's tough. Yeah. And it, it helped me be able to relate to them. And also I have to say, I recently moved out of my house and I'm actually living with uh, my parents right <laughs> now right. Yeah. in between. Um, I'm eventually going to be moving to another house, but have to get it ready. And the generational dynamics and having to, you know, walk on eggshells around people, you know, you love these people, but yet you're in such a small space mm-hmm. and you're having to deal with that. That, that really hit home with me. Yeah, um, so yeah. I could really, really relate to well, that. I think anybody who's ever had an elderly parent or relative live with them or anybody who's had to live in a close quarters with other family members for any period of time will definitely get a lot out of this movie because there's some very realistic depictions of that family dynamic and how it changes based on the space around you. It really does. Um, I like this movie too. I thought it was good. I echo you completely on the acting. I like both the leads, but Alfred Molina I thought was just solid. Um, Somebody asked me after the Wednesday night screening, which character I enjoyed more, which character I liked and would maybe even want to be around more. Hmm. I said, Oh, absolutely. The Alfred Molina yeah, character. Um, he had a, he had a strength, but yet a real vulnerability to him too. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple scenes, one scene in particular just still stands out to me. Um, the two men have been separated for probably what's been maybe a few days, mm-hmm. not seeing each other, which is probably the first time in their 40 years together. They've not seen each other for days right. on end. And it's raining, it's pouring, there's a huge distance between them across the city. And the Alfred Molina character shows up at the doorstep, basically, of where John Lithgow's character is staying. Right. And just because Alfred Molina feels that their situation is mostly his fault, he's taking on that blame, which his partner says, you know, no, we did this together, but still. Right. He's the... He's, he's still trying to play that, that father-man role in the right. relationship. Right. But yet he has an emotional breakdown. He realizes he might have been the one that kind of brought him to this point. The breakdown that he has at that point just was really powerful. Because you're seeing a guy who is a very strong character. We see some real strength from him mm-hmm. early in the film when he loses his job. Yes. The way he handles that situation. His firing. Very strong. That, yeah. Very, very, very well done. Right. But yet he just broke down and was very vulnerable at the same time later on. So it, I love seeing that dynamic and he played it perfectly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I really, I really like their performances. Um, in the film in general, I, I really liked what it was trying to say about the multi, the different generations and their views of relationships. We basically have the old couple who have been together for 40 years, mm-hmm. very settled on who they are. 
very comfortable in their own skin, absolutely comfortable in their own skin. Right. There never once seemed to be any concern from them that how they're being perceived by the outside world, how people view their relationship, none of that. They right. could not care less. Right. You've got your middle-aged couple, the ones with the kid. Marissa that, Tomei. Marissa Tomei, and I forget the gentleman that plays her husband, but it's Ben's uh, nephew. Right. Um, where they have a relationship that seems to be for the most part. Okay. But there's a little cracks and fragments here and some things that typical relationships go through, especially when parenting a teenage kid. Uh, and then you've got the young son who is the grandson of no great grand uncle, grand nephew of Ben. It's not his grandson. Um, right. He is because Ben is, his nephew is this this Joey's father. So anyway, right, right. a relationship with this over two generations. And you got the young boy who you kind of get the sense for the film is going through some questioning of who he is and what his relationships are meant to be and who he's meant to be with. And just seeing those dynamics I thought was really interesting. I do kind of wish they would have gone a little more with the different generations and gotten a little bit more into kind of some of that family dynamics with the husband and wife and with the son Joey. But I like the fact that they kept this film pretty simple and pretty pretty short. So there wasn't a whole lot of time to explore those anymore. Sure. Um, and I'll say just another like about it. I, I really like the fact that um, even though this did have as a, as a story point, homosexual marriage and the impact it had in the Catholic Church, which is where uh, Alfred Molina characters worked. He worked for like a Catholic school. He worked for a, a Catholic teacher. school as a music teacher. He was let go because he just got married and uh, because of the – uh, the church's position on gay marriage right. that could have been, and I was afraid it was going to be a running plot lines throughout the film. Yeah. Right. And I'm so thankful it wasn't, it was a very powerful scene when he got let go. There was a letter he wrote to the parents later on in the film that you heard over voiceover. That was really well done. And that was it. Mm-hmm. That was the only mentions of injustice feelings of, you know, church versus, uh, um, uh, relationships. I mean, I was very thankful that they didn't go down that path and turn it into a big uh, political injustice type of statement. Yeah. It was all about the relationships and the impact it had on them from that point on. The use of music in this movie, a lot of it was like Chopin's music and you know different songs that he had written. And George was a music teacher, so it made mm-hmm. sense. But my favorite scene is one that you referenced where he's giving a piano lesson to this young little girl. And she mm-hmm. plays a song. He's like, no, you're not really feeling it. Try again. And when she starts playing it again, you see flashes from George thinking about the school. And then you hear his voiceover reading that letter. And then at the end, you kind of come back and you see George as he's been thinking about that. And you see his facial expressions and everything. Yeah, that was probably my that was my like favorite scene scene. probably of the movie. I I, I could see that absolutely as well. Anything you didn't like about the film? Um, Yeah. Um, And it really hit me heavily right after I finished watching the movie. Now I'm a little little less uh, harsh or you know less angry about it. Okay. But um, there was a convention that the uh, filmmaker used where he would do lingering shots. Yes. And I did not notice it in the first, I guess, half of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there was a succession of four different instances where he used lingering shots to... At the first lingering shot, I just thought, oh, he's just showing skyline, you know, skyline flashes of New York because Ben was painting it. And I was like, okay, well, it's like he's staring at something and you're watching, you know, okay. But then it became a harbinger of right after that, a major event happened. Mm -hmm. 
And then there was another there was another instance at a outside a diner mm-hmm. and something major happened after that. And so it, it got on my nerves. There was like, mm-hmm. Oh, here's a lingering shot. Why are, why are they doing this other than just to have a lingering shot? Oh, it's because something major is about to happen. And, and, and by lingering shot, what we're talking about is a shot where the scene has happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe the characters have left the scene or mm-hmm. we're just kind of following them, but the shot just continues to go on either showing us what was in the scene before the character left or just they the characters have ex- exited the frame and we're still just lingering on that. Perfect example was towards the end, uh, Ben and uh, George. George have just had a date and they're leaving and go back to their separate places. One's at the top of a subway stairs. The other one goes down the subway stairs. The other one leaves the frame. But yet the shot still just kind of hangs, hangs on that on diner in the subway entrance for like a good another 10, 12 seconds right. probably. Making you think the movie was ending right there. Yeah, and it had a real slow fade out. But then right. you do find out in the next scene kind of what that was. What was right. that, that didn't bother me as bad. I, I always like when films take their time. I did notice a little more longer shots than normal throughout the rest of the film. Okay. I, will tell, I will agree. It's, it was used a lot more extensively at the end than the rest of the film. But I do like it when films feel like they can not feel this need to just quick cut to the next shot well, so quickly. Um, your concern was just it seemed to be more of a device at the end right? to kind of either play with emotions or kind of give you some sort of sense of something else going yeah, on. Yeah, it wasn't – it was – it'd be the – the same as if you were watching a biopic movie and all of a sudden the strings come in. You're like, oh, this is about to be a really right. triumphant speech yeah. the guy's about to deliver, which is very heavy handed. Sure. And this at the offset before I knew what was going on wasn't. But as because I said, I noticed a series of four. By the mm. time I got to that fourth one, I was I was rolling my eyes. Yeah. I was like, OK. Mm. OK. All right. So, well, interesting enough. Um, anything else about the film you didn't care for? No, that that's a pretty minor thing. Yeah. Um, but. And as I say, it's diminished now that I reflect back on it. I've had some had some distance, yeah. but that that really was the only other thing that I I didn't I didn't like. About. I, I, and I'm not gonna say this is a dislike, but I, I didn't think the the part of Elliot, which is what I'm looking up now, which was Ben's nephew, the father of okay. the young boy, father of Joey. Uh, okay. I didn't think his performance. When you're surrounded by so many strong performances, I just didn't think his held up as well. I, um, I'll give you that. I'd, I'd never seen that actor. I don't mm-hmm. believe in anything else. Uh, I hadn't either. And I, I felt like he was a little out of place. Yeah. Just didn't quite hold up. You've got these thought, heavy yeah. weight acting guys. Well, know. and Marissa Tomei, I thought was good. I didn't like her character, but I thought she played her character really yeah, well. Agreed. Um, I thought the boy, Joey, was he was really good. good. He was yeah. very good. And there was a, a, a little bit of a, a side character with Mindy, who was, uh, I guess another, a, 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 a sister of the, uh, Elliot character I just mentioned. Okay. So it would have been Joey's aunt and would have been Ben's niece. It's just she, hers was kind of a meant to be a little bit more of the, not necessarily comedic relief, but more of the stereotype role. Right. And I thought that was her role didn't fit the rest of the film. The rest of the film was so authentic. Mm-hmm. Hers was a little more of the nails on the chalkboard character. And I thought it was, <laughs> it, it didn't fit as well, sure. but minor, none of those roles made a major impact on the film performance and quality overall. Uh, but I did, I did like, I really liked it. And I thought, uh, performances were just really, really stellar and it made a good film. A film that this reminded me of, um, this film did come out in 2014 and I guess the interview barely came out in 2014. Yes. Uh, but we've discussed it, uh, boyhood Mm -hmm. and believe it or not, this film actually reminded me of boyhood. Um, the, it was just better. Well, (laughs) but boyhood, you know, the cool thing about that was the way it was shot over 12 years. And we discussed it on a previous episode, but what I liked about this film 
as you've kind of touched on, the natural, everyday nature of the film. And But what made it different from Boyhood was I felt like it had a lot to say about the interactions with family rather yes. than just being reflective. Exactly. Like Boyhood, I felt like it was just a mirror. Yep. And it was like, take what you can take. And okay, wasn't it cool we shot over 12 years? Which, yes, it was. But this had more than just showing a reflection. It was making you think about, it, mm-hmm. it had a lot more meat about what it was going on with the interactions. I absolutely so. agree. Well, good. I'm glad we're on the same page with this. So both of us do uh, encourage you to check out Love is Strange. It's a good movie. Uh, it's available on iTunes for rental and uh, or for rent by the time this episode comes out. It's for purchase right now. Right. Uh, definitely worth checking out. I think it's a good movie. I don't think it's going to get any Oscar nominations, which is a shame because I think Alfred I Molina, think Molina should have gotten one. Okay, one one final thought kind of too on it. Alan, after seeing Love is Strange, are you interested in the director Iris Sachs' previous films? Would you seek them out? I'm not going to seek them out, but if I've stumbled across one, I would watch it. Um, There was nothing really directorial about this that really stood out at me Mm -hmm. to where I want to feel like I'm more interested in now seeing anything else Alfred Molina's done than (laughs) I am seeing the director uh, Iris Sachs, what he's done. Got you. So... Um, but I will say if I get a chance to see one of his other films and it's available for me, I probably would watch it because it seems like from what I've read, a lot of his films have to do with this, the impact of love and relationships on people and the people around them. So I like where he's going with that. Mm -hmm. And, um, if the other films are of this quality, sure, I'd love to see them. Um, but more than anything, I think I'm more, I'm looking up IMDb to say, okay, now what Alfred Molina films are really good that I haven't seen. Right. And I would actually forgotten that he was, uh, uh, the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. He is the guy that uh, uh, enters the cave with Indy at the beginning and wow. toss me the rope, throw me the idol, and I'll toss you the rope. That was him. So, wow. Yeah. Huh. And the guy who. Uh, I don't think now that you meets his untimely it's like, end. Yeah, it's totally you know. him. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, wow. that's him. Okay. One of his first roles, uh, big American roles, I think. So sure. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll hit some movie news items, and we'll end up with our recommendation for the month. Uh, so stay t- Actually, not for the month. We do two a month now. So of the week, the bi-weeks, whatever you want to call it, uh, of the episode. We'll say <laughs> our recommendations go. of the episode. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. And for those of you that maybe are new to the show or new to the world of podcasting or online streaming audio, uh, The Mesh is a network, just like your CBS, just like your ABC, all these networks of shows. We put them out on the internet as The Mesh. You can go to themesh.tv, listen to any of the shows you'd like to. Most of them are audio, although we have a couple video ones sprinkled in there as well. Uh, But more importantly, the way a podcast really is meant to work is you subscribe to it. What it means is that when you subscribe to a show, Every time we put out a new episode, it is automatically sent to your podcast program, whether it's iTunes, whether it's a podcatcher, whether it's a a whole bunch of other ones you can get. A lot of mobile phones, you can get a podcast app to subscribe to podcast. 
So what we'd really like for you to do, if you enjoy the show, or even if you hate it, but you want to see how much worse we can get, you subscribe to the show. That way you can hear every episode and critique us all day long. Right. Go to iTunes and search for us on the podcast store or just the iTunes store in general. If you search for Foot Candle Films, we're going to pop up right at the top. Or just keep going to TheMesh.TV and you can listen to all the shows right there from the website without having to do any subscription. Whatever you choose to do, we just appreciate the support and interest in what we're doing. Uh, We've got some great listeners. We've got some great shows. And we've got some great plans for 2015. So thanks for being along for the ride. Chris, let's go ahead and jump into a little bit of movie news. Some things happening that were of interest to us or maybe directors or actors or projects that we find interesting. Uh, You got a couple for us. So why don't you go ahead and hit us with the first one? Sure. Um, DC Comics. I'm familiar with them. Familiar with them? Mm Mm-hmm. I think they have in the works what is going to be their answer to Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes. And let me explain. Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, Marvel movie, we reviewed it. And it was kind of the dark horse of the Marvel Universe. Like, lots of people didn't know what it was, had never heard of it. Came out and was a big success. Mm -hmm. I think DC and Warner Brothers have something cooked up for August of 2016 that'll be the same big hit. And what I'm referring to is... The Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think this, you're nodding your head. You're, you're familiar, with, familiar it. with it. I, yes. I was not. I'd never heard of it. But basically what it is is there's a super team of villains and you know people you would know, like the Joker, who are released from prison and they're commanded by somebody. And basically what they do is they take on this like top secret mission to like – I don't know what they do. But they go and they com- – the government lets them as- out of prison to go complete a mission to lessen their sentence mm-hmm. or whatever. And so um, I think it sounds like an interesting premise. It's like an Ocean's Eleven, but of bad guys. Mm, um, right, right. It sounds it sounds interesting. Um, the people that they have attached to the film, Jared Leto as the Joker, who I think is perfect as the Joker. Yes. Perfect, perfect. Uh, Will Smith is Deadshot. Not mm. as familiar with uh, – I know who Mr. Smith is. Not as familiar with who Deadshot is, though. And I'll tell you, I'm not really familiar with any of these characters either, except for, of course, the Joker, Joker. and Harley Quinn. Um, Okay, they've cast her. They okay. did. Okay. Um, that is going to be, oh gosh, you call me on the carpet here. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, female. Um, oh. Shoot, what is her name? I don't know, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Bl- blonde-haired lady. Yes, yes, she is going to be Harley Quinn. Okay. Uh, which is funny because Will Smith and this girl, Margot, uh, uh, either her first <laughs> or last name is Margot. Okay. Um, they're in a movie together coming out called Focus about a con artist thing. Okay. So it's kind of interesting that they're now on this that film together too. Yeah. And the other person attached to it is Tom Hardy as the leader of this group. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Flagg is the name. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I kind of always, for some reason, like bad guys in movies, those are the people like, not that I care about, but I think are the most interesting. So a movie that's filled of bad guys doing this like kind of random thing of trying to pull off a government yep. mission, I think is interesting. I think it's really cool. I think it could be a, a huge success for could be. DC. Could be. How do you feel about it? You seem to be very skeptical about it. Well, I'm, I'm skeptical of DC films through Warner Brothers in general right now. Ah. Um, I, I was on record as not enjoying Man of Steel, Kay. really being very disappointed by it. It was probably one of my biggest disappointments that year. I'm not sure where things are heading with the whole Batman versus Superman thing. We're still going to have the same guy directing it and the same person playing Superman. Yeah. Which that Zack Snyder in general, I really liked his work on Watchmen. Okay. But since then I haven't enjoyed anything. Did you like 300? It was take it or leave it. I I didn't care either way. Gotcha. 
Um, so, you know, I think it's a good concept, although I'm just curious. I mean, normally you kind of dip into these B-level characters and doing the whole anti-hero thing after you've really got a good, firm universe of heroes established. Hmm. And DC hasn't quite got that yet on film. You know, here in the next year, we're going to have Batman. We've already got Superman, but that's it so far. We're going to have Wonder Woman because she's in the She'll Batman's. be a cameo in it or a little small part or something. But, you know, we're still building it up. But to throw the Suicide Squad in so early and to reintroduce the Joker so early, that's a little bit of a concern of mine. Anybody who plays the Joker right now has got, you know, unfortunately, which is not right, that they're going to be compared to, to uh, uh, Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have minded having a little bit more time before we saw a new Joker, but I do agree with you. I think Jared Leto is the perfect role for it. Gotcha. So, if they're going to do it, so be it. Jared Leto is the right guy to do it. This has a chance to be something really cool, but I'm just. I don't like the way Warner Brothers and DC are playing out their universe quite yet. It's not working for me like Marvel's universe has. So, hmm. okay. comic book comic book geek. Quote out. I'm done. So <laughs> that's, that's it. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Um, so I've got a, a, a topic I want to bring up about a film that you and I talked about earlier this week. Okay. Um, I am a big David O. Russell fan, especially as of late. I liked his older stuff too. Okay. But I really have liked recent movies. Silver Linings Playbook, The Fighter, um, American Hustle. Okay. I really do like all those movies. All right. I liked his earlier films, too. I thought Three Kings was good. Three Kings. I liked um, the Ben Stiller. Um, Flirting with Disaster. Flirting with Disaster. So, in general, I really have liked his films. I Heart Huckabees. I'm a big David O. Russell fan. Sure. So, lo and behold, when I heard just this week that, oh, look, there's a film that David, David O. Russell started back in 2008. And just in case you're counting years, that's seven years ago. Making a film with Jessica Biel. James Marsden. With, uh, James Marsden with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. And Tracy Morgan, which I think is kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it's a movie that when it started, it was called Nailed. And the whole premise is that a young woman gets a nail embedded in her head, which causes her to have outbursts and just other th- you know, just uh, some little instability in her in her life. And she then becomes... A force for trying to get some, I think, legislation passed or something. I haven't really read the plot too deep. Sure. But that's not really what's that important to me. What's important to me is David O. Russell shot this film, almost all of it, along with writing it with Al Gore's daughter, who is... uh, Which is pretty random in itself. Pretty random. (laughs) He wrote it with Kristen Gore, who's Al Gore's daughter. I think Kristen Gore, if I remember correctly, might have also helped write episodes of Futurama and some other uh, animation comedy. So she is a comedy writer. Okay. Well, the movie faced a lot of hardships. It ran into a lot of financial difficulties. And at the end of the day, David O. Russell left. Now, David O. Russell's a hothead. Everything I've ever heard about him. He and George Clooney supposedly got into fistfights on the set of Three Kings. Okay. Because yes, Russell is supposedly a very volatile director. So I'm imagining if production's not going smooth, the money's not there, he's frustrated, he walks. Or they, he got forced off or something. Who knows? Sure. Nobody's really talking about the details of what happened. Right. Supposedly a guy was brought in to just fill in the missing gaps of footage, and then they went and edited the film and made it. They have finally got around to saying they're going to release it. Okay. But it's under a new name. It's called Accidental Love, which is stupid. <laughs> um, yeah. Man, these watered-down names just kill me. <laughs> it is going to be coming out on demand in February, like next month. Okay. So next month, to know that I'm going to get to see a new David O. Russell film, kind of, 
it's pretty awesome to think that it's just one coming out and he's actually working on a film right now, a real, like his, his film right. with his new muse, I guess, Jennifer Lawrence, hmm. um, talking about her as a modeled after a real life, uh, TV infomercial queen, someone who's kind of built an empire of, off of t- uh, infomercials. And she does like mops. Like she, yeah, yes. I think so. Okay. So I'm excited about that as okay. always, but just kind of knowing there's a film there, I'm really going to be curious to see, did this remain a David O. Russell film with the script and with the shooting he did, or did it really fall apart in the production pro- in the post-production process or not? It'll be really interesting to see. David O. Russell has gone on record saying it's a hilarious movie. He thinks the performances that Jake Gyllenhaal, Tracy Morgan put in were really, really funny and really good. Huh. So he's a fan of the film. He says it's, it's good stuff. Just He's actually got a pseudonym attached to it as directed by another person's name. I forget the person's name, but... Uh, now, if he... Um, they just couldn't put his... He wouldn't let his name be put on it? I don't it, know. Or that for legal reasons, because we don't know. We're not sure. And he even is quoted as saying, I can't get into it more than that for legal reasons, but let me just say that it's really weird because I got to know and love these actors. I got to love the state of South Carolina, which is where it was filmed. Oh, wow. And so he's disappointed he's not associated with it, but I don't know if it's a money deal. I don't know if it's a... Know. He got kicked off deal. I don't know. Huh. But regardless, in about a month's time, there's going to be a new somewhat David O. Russell film <laughs> online for us to check out. Watching someone, a Jack Gyllenhaal that looks about seven years younger than he does now. And it'll be interesting. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, Any I, thoughts on it? I mean, yeah, are absolutely. you intrigued at all? Or? I, I am. Um, I'm not. I am a more of a fan of David Russell, David O. Russell's earlier stuff. Sure. Um, his high point for me was I Heart Huckabees. Okay. I really, really, really yeah. liked that movie. Sure. I thought The Fighter was just kind of straightforward and didn't really think mm-hmm. much of it. Um, was really let down by Silver Linings Playbook. Wow. Uh, there again, very, we've, I think we reviewed that on the show as well. And I think we disagreed on it. So yep. I can't so. remember what episode number is, but if you want to hear that argument, go yeah. uh, look back to our catalog. Um, I did like American Hustle, though. Yeah, I remember you did. Um, I think you and I were kind of, I, you might have even liked it a little bit more than me. I mean, I liked I it. I, I was a little let down because I love Silver Lightning's playbook so much. Right. This Whereas one was a little bit of a that. step down, but uh, I still liked it, though. It so to me, um, looking at the trailer, because you mentioned me, we were going to be talking about this, said check out the trailer. I actually thought the trailer looked good. Yeah. It looked funny. Um, it did look funny, which for a comedy, that's one of the main things, you know. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be funny? Um, I don't know. I feel like it's more along the I Heart Huckabee's route. I guess I saw some commenting online that people were worried that they had taken David or Russell's content and the editing watered it down and the trailer made it look like a Fairly Brothers movie and they kind of dumbed it up, mm-hmm. I guess is yeah. a simple way to put it. I mean, you know, who knows until you actually see the movie. But I, I am genuinely interested in seeing it. So. Well, it's nice knowing that we'll probably be able to pay a rental fee to right. see it online for, you know, four or five bucks instead of having to go find it in a movie theater somewhere. That is one of the nice advantages of having an online film distribution model is that these kind of films, we would never, they would never get released to a theater. Sure. His film will not get released to a theater based on the production it went through and all that. But because of online, we will get to see it and kind of make a judgment on how we feel about it, which is cool. So yeah, absolutely. always a good thing. So what's the what's the last item you got for us there? Well, the last thing I have is, uh, Alan, did you get to, we reviewed it on the show, or maybe I did, can't remember. Uh, James Ponsel, who's the writer-director of The Spectacular Now, did you did we review it, or did you just see it at some point? You've I seen did it see though. The Spectacular Now, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I did um, really like it. Okay. Um, well, the next movie he's doing is going to star Tom Hanks. 
Mm-hmm. And it's based on an adaptation of a book by David Eggers. And the name of the book is The Circle, okay. which David Eggers is kind of a quirky dude himself. Um, and it's the story of a woman who's giving up her private life, giving all her anonymity away to work at a giant internet monopoly. And it is called The Circle. Hmm. Um, and I don't know if Tom Hanks plays her boss there. And I, I don't think they've tied someone who's going to be this who's going to be the the woman playing mm-hmm, in the movie. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that it's um, James Ponsel who did Spectacular Now, yeah. and now he has Tom Hanks, and he's in this movie. What are your, are you interested? Um, I did really like the Spectacular and Now. it's a totally I, different type of movie. Yeah. Also from Spectacular I think now. it sounds intriguing. Um, okay. I'm not a huge Tom Hanks fan. I mean, I admire him. Really? But I'm not somebody who says, I've got to see the next Tom Hanks movie. Okay. Um, hmm. I like him. I admire him, but he's just not one of my top tier actors for my that I watch. Why is that surprising? I, I think I'm a little surprised by that. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I would think. Yeah. I mean, not that I run out and see every movie he's in, but in general, if he's in a movie, I'll be like, okay, I think there's something there. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's he's one of those people that I feel like is uh, really well established, mm-hmm. and he. I love Michael Caine. I love Morgan Freeman. But, but he's not a paycheck actor. Oh, no, no. He's definitely um, not. I'll tell you what. I mean, and then, you know, I just Morgan wish he Freeman, hadn't done those, those freaking Da Vinci Code movies. That's, that's it for me. That was well, what killed me. That, that was okay. probably the biggest paycheck movie he's done. Okay. Well, I don't feel like the first one was because it, but then the, mm-hmm. well, I think it was just doing it and then he you know, maybe thought it was good. But the second one I could kind of agree because it's the whole sequel thing. Okay. that's I'd forgotten about that. He did those for paychecks. I think that's the only ones he did for paychecks. Right. And I so. like Morgan Freeman and in a good role. He's awesome. Um, but like I feel like sometimes, you know, why not? If somebody wants to pay me to be in a movie and I think mm-hmm. it's dumb, sure, I'll do it. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to judge these <laughs> yeah, actors if somebody not. wants to wave a big a fat check in their face for absolutely. two or three days of Take filming. It, yeah, you can do it. But I feel like he's not one of those and I think that the projects he usually decides to do are, you know, have a lot of potential and have like, he, like you know, he did Road to Perdition. Yeah, he's he more selective. I give the him the Terminal, that. which was that kind of weird Steven Spielberg yeah. movie that took place in an airport. Like he does these. But have you seen any of his recent films? Catch me other, if you can. Other than uh, Captain Phillips, have you seen any of his uh, recent films? I know there was the one he did with Julia Roberts where he directed it. It was a. Uh, he was what was it was like a person's name. His character's name was the name of the was film. Charlie Wilson's War. No. Well, that was another one I was going to ask you about. That was another okay. film. That was Mike Nichols, I believe. That might yeah. been his last film. I saw Char- Charlie Wilson's War and I saw um, Captain Phillips. But I, other than that, I don't know. Hold on, let me pull up IMDb. Pull up IMDb. Or, yes. And I really, I really thought he did a, I thought he did a good job in Captain Phillips. And I did not see Captain Phillips, okay. so I do have to kind of give you that. I did not see him in, in prior that. to that. The work that he did that I was very impressed with um, was the stuff he did for Cloud Atlas. Which did you ever catch up with Cloud? I Atlas? have not seen Cloud Atlas. Okay, because I have not multiple, seen. He had to do multiple roles in that. Well, here's his recent films: okay. Saving Mr. Banks, which oh, I've not seen. Yeah, that was that was good. Captain Phillips, I've not seen. Okay, so then. Cloud Atlas, I have not seen. Okay. Extremely loud and incredibly close. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Larry Crown. That's the one I'm thinking about. Larry Crown. This film he did with Julia Roberts uh, that he, I believe he directed as well. I, I do not remember or have heard and definitely have not seen Extremely. Yeah. I had problems with the Extremely. See, I think that's, that's the issue. Charlie Wilson's War was back in 2007. That was right after the Da Vinci Code, which I did not like. Right. Then Charlie Wilson's War came out. I did not see and didn't really have any desire to. Then Angels and Demons came out, which I did not <laughs> want to see. Right. Then, um, other than the Toy Story movies, 
Now, those were all sprinkled in, which right. I saw all those. Right. Then he did Larry Crown, which I did not see. Then he did Incredibly Loud and incre- Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. I did not see. <laughs> then he did Cloud Atlas. You know, for I the life of me, I cannot remember. I think he just plays the father in that Incredibly yeah, Loud. he does. Which is not a huge role. No, it's more of a supporting role, I think. Right, right. But okay. The last big movie that he was like recognized for and all that was Captain Phillips. Before right. Captain Phillips... But see, he I was think not it, recognized, really like got any recognition for being acting in a good film all the way going back to, oh my gosh, he did the terminal and the lady killers right before he did the polar express. Catch me if you can. Okay. Catch, catch me, me if you can. can is the last good Tom Hanks movie performance I've seen. Right. Now I think it's the last well, one he's done. Some of his more recent stuff. It's the last one I've seen. And that was back in 2002. Right. So, so I guess that's why he's not high on my list right now. Yeah, you, you need know? to catch up with some more recent okay. stuff. I'm not saying it's all good, but you know. I will say the time period where he did Saving Private Ryan, he did The Green Mile, mm-hmm. he did Castaway, mm-hmm. and he did Road to Perdition, mm-hmm. and then Catch Me If You Can. Okay, that was a really good, solid run of films. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'm with you there. But since 2002, I just haven't seen anything enough to make me think that he's he's an actor I care to follow too much. Sure. Okay. Okay. But anyway, I, you know, I'm interested. Sure. Uh, the direct, the spectacular now was a nice surprise for me. Okay. I thought it was going to be a teen romance. Uh, you know, uh, um, one of those adaptation things of uh, kind of a young adult novel. And it was, I mean, it was a good movie with some really good performances. And I think the director working with younger actors like he did, I think did a great job of carrying that along. First time I got to see Shailene Woodley, other yep. than in The Descendants. So, yeah. And Miles Toller, I think, I mean, I know he had been in some other movies, but that was really the first time I really noticed him as an actor. So, right, right. Um, no, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Let's okay. bring it on. Let's see. Well, yeah, now, I'm, Tom I'm Hanks not- is also doing a film. Um, another one with Steven Spielberg. Uh, that's and it's written to be by the Coen brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Now when I heard that, I'm like, okay, I like Spielberg. Synergy. I like, old, I like old Spielberg. I like old Tom Hanks. All right. Now you tell me you're going to throw the Coen brothers script in here as well. Okay. Let's, let's talk. This could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that is untitled, <laughs> untitled, good. untitled cold war spy thriller is the official <laughs> hey. name of the film. You know, right. actually hearing the subject matter is the only thing that worries me. Mm-hmm. Um, an American lawyer is recruited by the CIA during the Cold War to rescue a pilot detained in the Soviet Union. Yeah, that to no, me does not, yeah. it's just kind of like, wah, wah. but you yeah. tell me the people involved and I'm interested. Uh, directed by Steven Spielberg uh, based on a script by the Coen brothers. Yep, yep. I'm good. Sign me up. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, I know I didn't wasn't going to have another news item, but I just want to highlight two trailers. Okay. For you that I'm just, I want to hear your opinions on. Other than Accidental Love, which people should <clears throat> check out. You need but. to check out the trailer for Accidental Love because it does hopefully highlight what will be a good film. <laughs> um, the, the trailer for Ant-Man came out this week. The next Marvel movie now, coming out next summer. Now, is the actual size trailer or the ant-size trailer? No, well, this is the actual full-size trailer and the full two-minute two, two minute long video. Okay, one. I have not seen that They one. did the teaser. I saw the teaser ant-size ant trailer. Size, so like, and then the they did human size like the next day. <laughs> okay. It, that was a teaser for the trailer, which I think is stupid. But the trailer came out. Okay. Interesting, uh, where you've got Paul Rudd as, an, as the lead. It's based on a kind of a quirky concept of a guy who could shrink down to the size of an ant rides an ant around uh it was one it was the film where you had it belonged to another director edgar wright edgar wright which a lot of high anticipation of what he was going to do with a marvel superhero movie right and then he walked away because of creative differences with marvel right so now we have peyton reed who 
a good director has done some good stuff. I know you've got some personal connections with. I, I do. His yep. mom taught me uh, middle school English. Yep. So there is a little bit of a North Carolina connection <laughs> with Mr. Reed. He went to UNC Chapel Hill. That's right. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he's, he's done some good movies. Mm-hmm. He took on the Ant-Man uh, directorial role. They brought in um, extra writers to help out. And actually one of the writers they brought, and I'm drawing a blank, he's the guy that's 40-year-old virgin, knocked up. Um, you know, I'm talking about some of the Will Ferrell movies. Yes, yes. He's been involved with. Right. And I'm drawing a blank. Is it Adam? It's not Adam, is it? Adam McKay. Adam Adam McKay. Yep. Came in to help write it, which is yep. great. Yep. He and Paul Rudd have worked together on films before, Anchorman and, and all that. So they kind of got together and worked writing together. So automatically you assume this is going to be a more of a comedic Marvel movie. The trailer doesn't really go there. The trailer is actually kind of very straightforward superhero dramatic stuff, hmm. except for a couple of light moments of some dialogue by Paul Rudd. So I don't know where they're going with this tone wise. I'm kind of curious, but um, after guardians of the galaxy, I'm, I'm, I've got a much more of an open mind on where Marvel wants to go with their films. And even the ones that don't sound like they're going to be as interesting could be a nice surprise. So Peyton reads, um, I'm a, I'm a fan. Yeah. I, I loved I liked Bring It On, the cheerleading movie. Yeah, it was actually fun. Uh, it was a good movie. Down with Love, yeah. I think is awesome. And The Breakup, I also really, really liked. Yeah, I didn't care for that as much. But yeah, I could see it definitely had a lot more going for it. So, so I'm interested to see him being able to do a Marvel superhero. Have movie. you seen the trailer? No. I yeah. want, I'll have to look up the trailer. I, I did. <laughs> I follow him on Twitter. Um, and I saw he had jokingly, I guess, yeah. released the ant size trailer. So I saw it and I was like, huh? <laughs> you know, I was like, mm. oh, I get it. So then, no, I never saw the actual full-size trailer. So yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and one other trailer that I'm just more interested in your thoughts, Chris, and maybe if you can plan on seeing it, if you, if you haven't already seen it, okay. before the next recording and let me know your thoughts. So we're both a big fan of the documentary Man on Wire that was done. Uh, I have seen the trailer. You have seen the trailer? Yeah. I hate the trailer. The first half of the trailer, and let me just describe the trailer for yeah, this film. Okay. This is the, the one is called The Walk now. Right. Robert Zemeckis is doing this with Jordan, uh, Jason, uh, Jordan, uh, Gordon Levitt. Joseph Gordon. Joseph Gordon Levitt. And this is about the real life story of the man who did the higher wire between the two world uh, trade towers, right? Uh, trade center towers back in the 70s, early 80s, somewhere <sighs> in that time period. Somewhere yeah. in there, yeah. And. So now Robert Zemeckis is doing a dramatization film of this. And the trailer is just, you know, it's zooming a camera up the side of the building with words flying at you and this dramatic music. And it's all about 3D and everything. I'm like, oh, God, they're going to turn this into a more of a visual spectacle than they are a a story of a character. Now, granted, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I'm sure he'll be fine playing. Mm. uh, Is it Petite? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm sure he'll be fine. In Zemeckis, I like classic Zemeckis. I have not seen Flight, and I know that was a good movie I that you said. Just, I've recommended it on the show. Okay. I was just about to say, yeah, the trailer is kind of garbage. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if they're just doing that to get butts and seats because yeah. they're showing like, oh, this will be very IMAX, 3D. Look at how I hope high so. up he's doing. Like, But as soon as I saw that trailer start, I'm like, oh, that yeah. just that's not the tone of the film I want. I hope, no. that, I hope that is just to get some buzz for it and not – uh, the way the film is going to be played all for the visual spectacle of it. So. I, if I hadn't seen flight and if Joseph Gordon Levitt wasn't attached, then yeah, I'd probably write this off yeah. 100%. But you know, I thought flight was really strong 
And uh, yeah, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. So yeah, trailer is garbage. (laughs) All right. Well, a couple trailers I just thought were interesting, maybe a little surprising or disappointing um, either way. All right, Chris. I think that's all the news we've got. Why don't we move right on into our recommendations where we like to talk about a film that we've either recently caught back up with or maybe we remember from the past that we want to bring back attention to. Chris, what have you got to recommend for us this episode? Um, I'm going to recommend a indie film that's a prison drama. Mm-hmm. Um, came out in 2013, but I think it was released here in 2014, called Start Up. Mm, okay, and it's you did catch up with this. Huh? I, I did, yeah. It's a troubled and explicitly, explicitly violent teenager is transferred to an adult prison, and it's about his experiences there. And basically, the title Start Up comes from... Basically, if you're in a prison, like a, a juvenile prison, and you get in trouble or you do really violent things, they move you up in the prison system to a more adult place because it's like kind of sending you more to a maximum security place because you are a troubled, mm. messed up individual. Right. Um, so in this movie, it's the newcomer, uh, Jack O'Connell, who plays the violent teenager. I think it is maybe his first role, and he's in the movie that – um. Angelina Jolie has out right now. Um, Unbroken. Unbroken. Mm-hmm. He plays the star character in that. Right. I haven't seen that movie. But this was like one of his first roles. And he is really good as mm-hmm. a troubled, very troubled person. Um, the other person that is in this film that I kind of, somebody that you might not recognize his name, but I think if you saw his face, you'd definitely recognize him, Ben Mendelsohn. Mm-hmm. And he was in another film with uh, Brad Pitt, the uh, oh man, the crime movie that came out semi recently, Killing Them Softly. Okay, all right. And he has a really big role. Now is he in Animal Kingdom? Yes. Okay. I think he's also I remember in that. that. Yeah. I think he's in that. Yeah. Um, but he was in Killing um, Killing Them Softly with uh, Brad Pitt, and he had a big role in there. And he is just an actor that I've really come to know that I like, and I can't wait to see. I think I need to go on like a Ben Mendelsohn watching spree and watch some of his other. Um, work because he's really good and he's also he plays the boy's father who's also in the same prison and their interactions not your typical as you can imagine father-son relationship um i will say i I think it is a good movie but it is tough to watch it is very upsetting it's also very violent not particularly happy i mean these are people in prison that have done some bad things but it is a solid movie, and those are two really good performances in the movie. So, you know, not for everyone, mm. but um, start up. I'd heard some good up. things about it, and heard a little bit. I, I know I got to kind of steal myself up to watch it. I think one sure. time it's on Netflix, I believe, right? Um, it may be now. I actually caught up with it. It was on iTunes. Um, uh, maybe, I'm not may, sure. maybe it was just iTunes. I get I get them blended together sometimes. Sure. So, uh, well, I'm going to recommend a film mainly for its style, not necessarily to say that it's the the most impressive film, but I think the style and the way the actors went through the film, which I'll talk about here in a moment. Okay. Uh, the film's Drinking Buddies from okay. 2013. Uh, Joe Swansburg, or Swanberg, both the director and writer. Uh, you've got Anna Kendrick. You've got Olivia Wilde. You've got Jake Johnson from New Girl on TV and, and uh, a couple other film roles he's had is pretty good. And Ron Livingston, who I always liked a lot. I think he's a good actor. Uh, the four of them, they're basically all the real characters in the film with uh, two of them working at a little microbrewery. And all it is, is about the relationships between these two, four, these four characters. You've got uh, Luke and Kate played by Olivia Wilde and Jake Johnson, who are good buddies hanging all the time, drinking buddies, mm-hmm. like, hence the title. And then it, 
each of them have their own relationship with somebody else, but then there's always a little bit of back and forth and will they, won't they kind of get together type of thing. Sure. You know, the film itself is fine. It's what I really admired about it is what I read up about the film more. Uh, the film is almost completely improvised. Okay. So every piece of dialogue was improvisational. And that's kind of a Swamberg it is. hallmark. Okay. It's kind of just saying, okay, here's the deal. This just happened. Talk, you know? And knowing that and actually me thinking that the performances were pretty solid in the film, I enjoyed watching these characters, made me think, wow, that's pretty cool. I like that style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It gets into a little bit of what I guess they're considering the whole mumblecore thing a little bit sure. where it's just kind of just people overlapping, talking, and it's just kind of letting it roll and there's a lot of improvisation. And I think if you want to kind of tiptoe your way into that concept of mumblecore films, this is probably a good place to good start. starting point. Because it's a good, simple film. It's really straightforward. It's some good performances. Uh, suppose I read the scene, there's a scene where uh, Olivia Wilde's character is drunk at their cabin that they're staying while they're playing some card games. And she really was drunk because that just seemed to be a more natural way to play that. And I mean, it shows because mm. I really felt like everything was very realistic. The things okay. they said to each other, the way they reacted. When the two best friends got really upset and angry with each other, it was very, very real feeling. Okay. So I liked it. Did I like the story as much? Did I like the way it ended? No, not really so much. But I do will say, I think from an acting standpoint, if you want to see how improvisation can be done on screen with some pretty good, talented actors, this is a good way to showcase to see that. So that's Drinking Buddies. It is on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, you can watch it right away for free. Um, It's a good movie. And Swanberg, I know, has... He makes a lot of films. I mean, he I think he's very prolific. I think right after this one, he made another one, Happy Christmas, which I have not seen yet. And it's also on Netflix. Okay. So, yeah, so he, he's just kind of churning them out, which is yeah. kind of cool as well. So uh, I think that should be it for us then, huh? Yeah. I think uh, two reviews, The Interview and Love is Strange, which surprisingly we liked both of them. Um, <laughs> you liked the interview even probably more than I did, mainly right. because of the Franco factor is what I'm going to call it now. The Franco factor. The Franco factor is in, in, in high effect. Um and then we've got uh, some news we covered, and then we have two recommendations. We've got the film Startup that Chris recommended and Drinking Buddies that I, I shared with everybody. So with that, Chris, we have Oscar nominations being rele- announced in here in the next couple of weeks. Yep. So basically by the time we get together for our next episode, we will know the Oscar nominations, correct? This is true. Okay. We should. So plan on in our next episode, we will definitely have some thoughts. Maybe we'll kind of pick apart some of the nominations during our news segment. But we definitely start to get a little ramped up to see where things are going with this. Then when the Oscars happen in late February, the very next show we record after that, we will try to see how we did with our own predictions. Now, are we going to have predictions? We probably we may not have them ready like right after the announcement of the sure, nominations we may have here. To kind of wait and let it it may be, be the first February episode we give our predictions. And then the second February episode, we see how we did. Sure. How's that? So we always look forward to it. Yeah, it's... It's, a, it's, it's Oscar awards. It doesn't necessarily mean these are the best films and these are the best performances, but it is something fun for us to kind of bounce off of and say, were they right? Were they wrong? What would have been our choices? It's the film geek fantasy football. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and in the end of the day, it's still Hollywood and there's still going to be winners and that we don't all agree with, but sure. you know, so be it. That's the name of the game. Absolutely. So we'll look forward to that. That'll be a kind of a recurring topic over the next probably three to four episodes. I'm sure the whole Oscar season in general with that. We don't know the film we'll be reviewing in February, but we'll keep that as a surprise for everybody as well. At least one or two films. So with that, we're going to go ahead and take a, take our time off and, and sign off here.
And uh, thanks a lot for listening. Chris, if, if anybody wanted to kind of get in touch with us or find out more about us, where, where all can they go online? Well, uh, you can go to themesh.tv, which is where not only our podcast is hosted, but as Alan mentioned, we have tons of other podcasts. But you can go to our page on there. You can send us an email at info at themesh.tv. If you have questions for us, just kind of mention that you do, and they'll send it our way. Um, also, you and I are both on Letterboxd. So, you know, you can follow kind of the recent movies we've been watching. Sometimes we write little mini reviews. Um, Also, you know, iTunes, we appreciate, you know, reviews on there. Give us star ratings or write comments and stuff like that. Everything, every little bit helps. Yeah, I mean, just, hey, let us know how we're doing. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you thought the interview should have gotten the one-star review that some of our (laughs) iTunes reviewers gave it. Uh, Or... uh, you know, if you got anything else to say about any of the other films, hey, if you if you check out the uh, accidental love trailer or, or nailed as I think it should still be called, let us know your thoughts on that too. We'd love to hear from you. All right, we're going to sign off then. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv discover other network shows, and give us feedback on what you just heard.